Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our unchanging God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, as we've discussed, we do begin a sermon series that will go through the month of July called Meet Jesus, Our Unchanging God. And we'll be walking together through Mark chapter 6 as a congregation and hearing about all those who met Jesus in his day and what that meant for them. And we will also consider how we meet and know this same Jesus Christ who does not change and how that then shapes our lives. This series also kicks off our new year here at Christ Our King. It begins every July, our fiscal year, where we have a, a theme for the upcoming year. And our theme this year is Changing World, Unchanging God. We know that there is so much change in this world. We've seen some pretty phenomenal changes over the past year or so. Even here at Christ Our King, we've seen some recent changes, haven't we? We're going through a season of change. Change seems to be inevitable. But as Christians, we know we serve the one, the God, who does not change. He is always true and faithful. Hebrews 13 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so this sermon series for the month of July will not only kick off our year together where we're focusing upon the on the one upon whom our faith is founded, but it will also help us all each get better acquainted with our unchanging savior. Jesus Christ, no matter if we've been a Christian for our entire lives or we're someone who's meeting Jesus for the very first time. So if you do have your Bibles with you today, I'd invite you to open up to Mark chapter 6 as we begin to walk through this chapter together. And this series called Meet Jesus begins quite interestingly because the first place we see Jesus go in chapter 6 is back to his hometown of Nazareth, where Jesus is actually known quite well. But you see, that becomes the issue. Jesus had been doing some pretty amazing things in his ministry so far, and all of it had been to serve his message that he was bringing, which was the time is fulfilled and God's gracious action is at hand. God's long-awaited kingdom is arriving with me. Therefore, repent of your sins and be forgiven and believe in the good news that I now bring you. Jesus is going all over delivering this message. And, and as we'll see, this is also the message he gives his disciples as he sends them out so that they can spread the good news as well. But for those in Nazareth who knew Jesus, who had seen him grow up, for those who knew his family, they couldn't accept that any of this was true. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. 
You see, they weren't denying that Jesus was displaying incredible wisdom. And they also weren't denying that Jesus was doing some pretty powerful miracles that should have been proof of who he was, the Son of God and the promised Messiah of Israel. But they just couldn't see past that boy that they had known since Mary and Joseph returned from Egypt. They either didn't know or didn't want to believe the miraculous story of his birth, that he was born of a virgin. All they knew was that Jesus was just one of many children Mary and Joseph had after Jesus. All they could see was a carpenter's son. All they could see was the Jesus that they wanted to see. And so they were offended by him because he dared to say something different. As we begin this series called Meet Jesus, we begin on this somber note that there are many in this world who are unwilling to meet Jesus for who he truly is. And to be sure, in the coming weeks, we will see Jesus' amazing response that he is going to demonstrate without a shadow of a doubt just who he is and what he came to do. But for now, for today, we are reminded that the people who were closest to Jesus from his own hometown and even from his family did not receive him. A prophet is not without honor, Jesus said except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Jesus' own family members wouldn't even believe in him, at least not until he was raised from the dead. And so Jesus refrained from doing his normal miracles in Nazareth, except a few, which he did do, which goes to show just how gracious Jesus still was Toward them, But he didn't do those miracles, or at least many of them, because he knew they would do no good. No one would believe in him. The miracles wouldn't point them back to him. And so the gospel writer Mark, he, he indicates only this one time in his entire gospel that Jesus actually marvels at something, that he's amazed by something, but it's not good. Jesus marvels, it says, at their unbelief. In our world today, we see much of the same reaction to Jesus. And it's not necessarily from people who have never heard about Jesus. Rather, it's often from people who have very clearly heard the gospel and seen God at work. They have seen him do amazing signs in both word and sacrament. They are the ones who have had every opportunity to be close to Jesus. Those who have been in a Christian church and from a Christian family and have heard the good news about him. And yet still so many of those people refuse to believe. That is how the world has often regarded Jesus. Ever since the days he walked this earth until today, people feel they already know Jesus. They say that he's a good teacher, that he wants us to love each other, that he's an example to us of what it means to live a moral life. And those things are all true to an extent, but they are certainly not sufficient to know who he is. People think they know him. But you see, they too just want to see the Jesus that they want to see. To them, he's not a savior. They don't need saving from their sin. 
He's not the Messiah. They don't believe in life after death. And he's certainly not the Son of God because if they believed that, well, then they couldn't continue to live the way that they want to live. This is how the world thinks. But you see, you can't be on the fence about Jesus. Either he is who he said he was, the Son of God and the Savior of the world, or he's not. You either believe that he's the Messiah and the bringer of the reign and rule of God and live as such, or you don't. There's no middle ground. And so that day in the hometown, in his hometown of Nazareth, they made their stance perfectly clear. They did not believe in him. And so they lived as such. What's significant for us to note here, however, is Jesus's response. You see, there are many Christians today, especially in our Western world, who see the the clouds of change gathering in the distance. They see the signs of our society going down certain paths. It's not hard for any of us to see how God-less and faith-less our culture is today. And so many Christians will say that the proper response for us is to hunker down and circle our wagons and pull back from society in significant ways. if not entirely, and just wait until eternity. But is that what Jesus did? Well, if you look at the end of verse 6 and then verse 7, we see what Jesus did. And this was immediately after he was rejected by the people who supposedly knew him the best. Jesus right away went to other villages, teaching them. And then he calls the twelve to himself and he sends them out two by two, giving them authority as well to do amazing signs and wonders. And just like Jesus, their authority to do those signs and wonders, it was to serve and point people towards the message that they brought. They too were proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah and now is the time to repent and be forgiven of your sins and to believe in him. Isn't that amazing though? Jesus' response in the face of rejection and hostility and unbelief was to double down on reaching out. And that's why he prepares his disciples to receive such rejection as well. No doubt there would be some who would be receptive to the gospel and God be praised. But Jesus tells them, If any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. And then he says to move on. You'll know Jesus didn't say to the disciples to stay and argue and debate because it was their responsibility to change people's hearts. Jesus didn't ask them to to call down fire and brimstone on anyone who would dare offend them. No, the disciples were sent out with a clear and joyful message. With the knowledge that some were going to reject them because they would reject Jesus. But the reaction of the people that the disciples were going to wasn't their responsibility. Rather, their responsibility was simply to deliver the message The message about Jesus, to deliver it boldly and to deliver it in love. And if they were rejected, then they don't give up and just throw in the towel. They're simply called to shake off the dust 
and move on to the next house where God was guiding them to go. This is what Jesus demonstrated to them. This is what the disciples were called to do. And today, this is what we are to do as well. Friends, we live in a changing and a changed world. On this 4th of July holiday, we often remember with a lot of nostalgia the way things used to be. And that's not wrong. We give thanks to God for all the good that he has given us and given to our country. And we see how he has led us and brought us through the past. And so we remember those things with thanksgiving. But it also causes us to see how things have changed. We see very clearly, for instance, that Christianity isn't the predominant religion in our country anymore. If it's anything, it's probably secular humanism, belief in oneself rather than in God. Sometimes, though, I get the sense that Christians are are somehow trying to hold on to the hope that our country will, will get back to a point where Christianity can be the predominant religion again, and Christians, therefore, hold on to their privileged position in society. Now, I'm not a prophet, make no mistake, so I can't say what God's will is for our country. But I think it's pretty safe to say that for the time being, the time for, for that, for Christianity to be in such a privileged position in our society, that time has passed at least during our lifetimes. But you see, historically speaking, when you look at the history of the world, and honestly, biblically speaking, Christians shouldn't expect to live in a world where we're comfortable and accepted. And the longer that we try to make that our aim, that is to try and change this world into a world that accepts us with open arms, the more we're just spinning our wheels. And honestly, if we spin our wheels, then we will run the risk of losing sight of why God has us here in the first place. Our goal is not to make this world more comfortable for ourselves. Our goal, Jesus' goal, is for us to share the good news about him. Expecting that some will listen, but many others will reject us because they reject him. We shouldn't expect to live in a world that's going to agree with us about and agree with God's word about the value of all human life from the moment of conception to the moment of natural death. We shouldn't expect to live in a world that agrees with God's word about the nature of marriage as God designed it for the building up of healthy families and the raising of children. We shouldn't expect to live in a world that agrees with God's word about what constitutes a sin, that it's not up to a person to decide for themselves what is true or right for them, but right and wrong is defined by a good and righteous God who does not change. We shouldn't expect to live in a world like that. Those things can only come by the gift of faith and a heart changed by the Holy Spirit. But Jesus knew this world, and he knew that this was the world he was sent to save, because it needed saving. We needed saving. And that's why he was willing to be rejected and condemned and nailed to a cross. That's how far Jesus was willing to go 
for us. The question is, when the world treats us like it treated him, and it will, what will our response be? Well, the answer is that we respond like Jesus. And so we never give up. Not because we're particularly strong-willed or special people, because we're not. In fact, we are just as sinful and weak as this world who rebels against our unchanging God. That's who we are by nature before God intervened for us. But you see, there is a difference between us and the world. And it's not a difference in who we are by nature. It's a difference in that we know who Jesus is by nature. We are the ones who have been graciously met by him, given the gift of faith in our baptisms to believe in him, and therefore we know Jesus Christ for who he truly is, and we want others to know him as well. He is more than a carpenter. He is more than a spiritual leader or a good moral example. Jesus is the Son of God and the Son of Man who came to this earth as one of us to die for us. Jesus forgives us all of our sins, and he therefore brings the reign and rule of God into our lives. And then he rose again and promised to return one day when he will raise us from the dead so that we might live eternally with him. He is our unchanging God who is the same yesterday and today and forever. His love and mercy and grace toward us never fail. We do not deserve this kind of love. And yet he has freely given it to each and every one of us. We have met this Jesus. We know this Jesus, and our lives are forever changed because of it. And that's why Jesus calls us, all of us, as he did his disciples, not to be hostile toward a world that may be hostile toward us, not to demean or belittle people because they do not know Jesus, not to get back at or revenge with a world that does not play fair. No, none of that. Jesus calls us simply to love them. To love our enemies and pray for the ones who persecute us. Not because they deserve it. We didn't deserve God's love. But while we were still sinners, Christ loved us and died for us. And that enables us then to begin to see this world through his eyes. And so we are sent out into this world, beginning first with our own families and our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our schools and everywhere that God would have us go. And we do not expect people to welcome us with open arms, but we continue to go and we continue to proclaim because we know the one who was rejected and suffered for our sake is now alive. He is our unchanging Savior and God. And we'd like as many people as possible to meet him. In Jesus' name. Amen. And now the, may the peace of our unchanging God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.